podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. And this is true We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do We don't need robbing, stealing, or mugging In fact, we'll take it seriously We're only bugging This is the Whistleblowers uh, And I'm Mark Gritton returning to action with Fortunately, two men that are uh, much more intelligent than me on, on all things football. Um, I'd like to introduce a debutante um, from the Mail, a football writer, uh, Mr. Tom Farmery. Tom, good to see you. Evening, Grits. Thank you very much. Uh, it's my pleasure. And, and yes, you know me as Grits from your deep love of Grimsby Town and my um, immaculate performances for them over 50 games and six goals as a striker. Yeah, they need you now, don't they? <laughs> well, mate, don't. Yeah, let's not get onto that. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Um, and that those dulcet tones that you heard interrupting there was a regular on the Whistleblowers, but also on the Chels podcast, who's a sister podcast of this uh, this one. Um, it's Gary Gary Hayes. How are you doing, Gary? I almost forgot my name. I then. really did there <laughs> because I was I was getting caught up in the moment. Um, Gary, how are you? It's been it's been that long since I've seen you. I nearly yeah, forgot it's been you. a while. Yeah, how could I forget? Mm. I know you should get me on when Chelsea are bad as well. Well, this is it. There's there's nothing better than putting a bit of heat under you and getting mm, you angry. I'm just, feeling it. Just 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 in the right off. time. Well, well, let's let's. I, well, we can start with Chelsea. I, I'm more than happy starting with Chelsea because I think it's uh, it's certainly an interesting one. It was it was a very recent game in the memory for you uh, and perhaps not for for everyone else that was uh, a neutral. Um, but you know, good performance by West Ham to get back in the game. Let's just address that first, um, and a good point, a very valuable point for them. But uh, from your perspective, where's it put you guys mm, in the mire? Even more so. But just to disagree slightly, it was a good result for West Ham, not a good performance. But Chelsea just let them in, let them in the game like they've done since Christmas. They just can't kill teams off. You know, a few weeks ago. They completely outplay Man United at Old Trafford. Should be two or three up by half time. Lukaku, they allow him to sc- you know to score right on half time, and then United go on to win that game two one. Um, same against Spurs last week. It's being pitched as a great Spurs performance. Not taking anything away from him, it was a good performance. But Chelsea let them in. By the time Eriksen scores that goal at half time, Chelsea should be you know away. Yeah. And then in the Champions League against Barcelona, they hit the post twice in the first leg and. You know, draw one all. They go to the new camp. I'm not saying because I'm a Chelsea fan, but I think they play Barcelona off the pitch for large parts of that game. Yeah. Unlike many teams do at the new camp, and they can't even score. And then they play lowly West Ham, and they can't even put them to the sword. It's just embarrassing, really. Now it's just really getting frustrating. Um, well, I, Tom, did you watch the game? I don't know if you saw that. Don't have to say you did, by the way. This that's not fundamental to the whistleblowers' ethics. That's not a kind of ethos, I should say. That's it's more a case of the general over, overarching sentiment. We were talking a little bit before this about Conte and and his general malaise as a manager when he's in front of the camera these days. What do you pick up from him? What, what's the undertones? Because I know Gary's got a comment on that as well. I didn't watch the game. I was at Wembley um, for Lincoln City against Shrewsbury. But um, but no, what I would... I think I agree with Gary in many ways. I think I agree with him going all the way back to probably last summer when Costa leaves the football club. You lose a player who has that tenacity, that aggression... Um, that you need in a football side, particularly a side that's going for the Champions League. Now, Chelsea, what, 
10 points 10 points off, off yeah fourth place um <clears throat> and what I'd say also is a player and we spoke about this earlier somebody who everyone has a lot of trust and a lot of faith in is is Eden Hazard a player who probably believes in himself can go for a bigger move elsewhere however he hasn't really Perform to levels that he did last season. Look, mm. look at the goal he scores against Arsenal last season, where he picks the ball up the halfway line, beats two or three players, and puts in the bottom corner. Has he done that this season? No. And the player you relied upon for individual brilliance this year, I would suggest, is William, and he's been consistent throughout the season. But you've lacked those number of players who you rely upon. That a team in Premier League going for Champions League football. You know, you want four or five players who are all going to be strong and versatile to adapt to situations. Christensen, I think, has done really well. He's done amazing. You know, for a 21-year-old to play the way he has, and he started over 20 games in the league this year, and you, you can see that just recently he's tired legs, tired mind. You know, Denmark sending back from international duty for the fatigue. And, you know, you see probably he's had to play more games than he should have. But just going back to Hazard... Here we go. Let's just let's just all t- tuck in for yeah. the night, guys. The, Stick the, the crown on. prince of Stamford Bridge. How dare you? You know, say anything about him? How dare you criticise my Eden Hazard? You know, the way football fans you know latch onto someone because he's got good FIFA stats. Um, and <laughs> cold blood. No, and the, the thing is, Eden Hazard. And a very I'm, short I'm, I'm, fu- I'm fully aware that I'm talking about a player that has been a you know a PFA Player of the Year and. Last season, he was great at Chelsea. Um, you know, Chelsea fans were dining out on the fact that you know he left Coquelin on his backside at Stamford Bridge and embarrassed him. But there's this misconception about Hazard in that people say, "Oh, when he plays well, Chelsea play well." But it's the other way around. You know, in my view, when Chelsea play well, he plays well. When the chips are down and Chelsea are in dire need of you know some creativity, he disappears. Mm. He disappeared at the new camp against Barcelona when it, William was the one, you know, driving Chelsea. He goes in his shell. You know, yesterday against West Ham, he started bubbly and doing things, but then when West Ham put the pressure on, it becomes one-one. He just wanted too many touches. He want, you know, to the point that the fans were getting on his back, and he told the ref off. Has he changed? Has he changed in the way that he plays, or has he always no, no, been like but that? This is the thing with Hazard, right? Now, this is something I've spoken about a little bit before, but I guess people listening to this won't listen to the Chelsea predominantly, but. With Hazard, the the cheap blow at Chelsea is when things are going wrong, everyone wants to drag up Mohamed Salah and want to drag up De Bruyne. And they say, oh, you know, you're rubbish and you let De Bruyne go and you let Salah go. You know, De Bruyne now is a better player than even Hazard is. The, I think the jury's still out on Salah, not because of what he's doing this season, but for the longevity. But Absolutely. obviously, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah that's a different... Yeah, yeah. coming a great together. season, but, yeah. but you know, so have, so have a lot of players. Yeah, is he going to do what um, what Mares has done at Leicester? Yeah. You know, but you know, going back to Hazard, people forget it's too easy to criticise Chelsea about De Bruyne and Salah and you know so many other players because you look and you think, okay, yeah, if Chelsea kept those players, great, but they why did they let them go because of one man? They bought Hazard in 2012 as the star of this team. He was coming in to replace the generation of Terry and Lampard and you know Drogba. Chelsea just won the Champions League. That was the end of that that mm. cycle of players, and they were building for the future. And they built around one player, Eden Hazard. 
And they've had to let so many other talented players to go because they gambled on him. And at first, it was a great gamble because he was such a, you know, an influential player and he was a good player. But Eden Hazard in 2018, in my view, is no better than Eden Hazard in 2012. Yeah. 2012, he looked great and he was like, wow, this kid's got something. But in 2018, he's still the same player. Yeah. Whereas you see the other players that were around him that he was blocking, they've gone on to become something different. And De Bruyne now is just a sensation. And he changes matches for City. You know, when, when they really need something, it's De Bruyne that's producing it. Or, okay, they've got David Silva as well, but other players. But De Bruyne is such a key figure in that Guardiola side. And Hazard's meant to be that for Chelsea. And he, he just simply isn't. And that's why Chelsea are in the mire well, right now. That's interesting. Going back to Tom, what you touched on with Willian. Because Willian seems to be a man that seems to generate his own... He can be his own... <laughs> He can be his own catalyst, you know, he can start and create things from nothing. Problem is, he hasn't been consistent enough to be able to do that, to keep his place. But you've gone through a cycle of players that, like Oscar, you know, to a lesser extent, Sherl or even Pedro, guys that should come on and do more than... Well, certainly if you've won the league and you're built upon a strong unit of players behind you, you should have the freedom to then go and be creative going forward. And I think that they've struggled... Tom, I, I, as you said about Willian, I think that's a, that's definitely been something a problem for them this season. Yeah, I think it's slightly, maybe slightly unfair on Willian um, to put it all on him. I think Gary makes a really good point with De Bruyne and uh, Salah in how they've become key players. I think I always view this and sort of measure it on how often they're mentioned. And someone like Hazard this season quite obviously hasn't been a key player for Chelsea. Um, in his involvement in the big games. I look at the Champions League games against Barcelona. Yeah, Christiansen makes the error, individual error. He makes the individual error against Spurs as well. But at the same time, you're looking at players in an attacking sense to change the course of the game. Hazard hasn't done that no. in one, two, three games. First, second leg, Barcelona, and the game against Spurs. And I would say it's a concern for a player who quite obviously values himself very highly, looks himself as a top 10 player in the world and isn't living up to it. And you can look at it as though he was one of Costa's big mates and maybe he's a little bit aggrieved with how Conte has behaved over the last year, but it's in his own best interests to perform to his best abilities. I, I, I just we know that's giving him too be. much credit to, to even say that because, you know, I think it's taking the focus off his talent. I'm not saying he's not a good player. Of course he's a good player. He's just not the player that everyone thinks he is or everyone wants him to be. And you look at his stats, you talk about what he's done you know, just recently. Look at his stats. Chelsea have struggled against the top six teams this season, which is why they're in fifth, and they're rightly in fifth. Hazard has scored one goal against those teams in the top six. And who did it come against? Arsenal. And what game did it come in? The second leg of the Carabao Cup. You know, uh, sorry, no, it wasn't. Sorry, it was the penalty, wasn't it? Uh, uh, over Christmas. Sorry, I'll take it back. But he scored one goal in the league against those sides. And um, you look at the big players, Harry Kane, Eriksen, Deli Alley. they're doing it for Spurs against those teams, yeah. as Chelsea have witnessed. Salah's doing it. You know, um, you, look, you look at the weekend, Pogba, I know he hasn't done much this season in terms of you know, so much more, but he scores these two important well, goals. It's the, biggest, it's the biggest stage of all for him, yeah, wasn't exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. And he uh, rises to the challenge. To the after the game, he speaks in, you know, these passionate terms of losing to City was death. And then Chelsea yeah. lose to Spurs in a whimper. Like, those players like Hazard, not so much they didn't care, but where was the, the tenacity to really go out and what you need for those derby games? And Chelsea had just been severely lacking because of players like Hazard. Well, listen, I, I 
take both your points on Hazard. There's, there's one other thing I want to touch on, uh, last thing about Chelsea before we, we move on. Interestingly enough, your your points about Conte and his future. I mean, from all, from his demeanour in the, the past five or six games as a manager and you just the way we look at it and the way we read stories about it. But what's what's your take on it, Gary? Yeah, see, I'll, I'll just see it that maybe we read too much into body language and that, but... You know, we we all have jobs where we get frustrated with our bosses and we come in, we sit at our desks, you know, throwing teacups around or whatever. I think that's part and parcel. It just happens to be that this guy has got cameras on him and mm. we see it. And But just because I was angry at work today doesn't mean I'm necessarily leaving. But I think that, and this is based on just observing the situation, but I think Conte will stay at Chelsea. Not because maybe he wants to or because Chelsea want him to, because it's going to become a marriage of inconvenience almost because Chelsea don't want to sack him to pay off another manager which is going to cost them nine million um, so they're hope, they were hoping someone like Paris Saint-Germain would come and take them off their hands and pay their nope. yeah. their fee but they've got Thomas Tuchel now we're hearing yeah. um, you know Gattuso is signing a, a new deal at AC Milan so that job isn't really there Sarri if he leaves Napoli I don't think Conte's want to go, going to want to go there Allegri is looking like he's going to stay at Juve is Zidane going to leave Real Madrid, you start looking, you're thinking, well, where is he going to go? And he doesn't want to walk out on a £9 million a year deal either. Nope. So it might be a case of he stays around because he's got to, but I think that's good for Chelsea anyway because there's no Emanala, there's no technical director. The only so-called football expert at the club in a position of power is the manager. And Chelsea need him as much as he needs them right well, now. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, I think that you might be the only a voice of a dissenting generation, <laughs> Gary, because that's the first time... Well, I've what's going, going to happen? But, he's going to be sacked tomorrow morning. Yeah, but listen, if he does stay, then I'm going to be flagging this up because uh, you did... You you, you were the first to say it. Uh, I'd just like to say a, a quick word about our sponsors. Um, for all the offers on Ladbrooks, please go to bet.thewhistleblowers.net. Um, all the latest offers and deals on there. So uh, well worth a visit um, if you are, are so inclined. Uh, that's enough for now. Let's uh, join us after the break for, for more chat. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Ladbrooks. Moving it swiftly on to, uh, well, we touched on Paul, but let's let's just let's just touch on that game because the, the importance of it in the grand scheme with it, we've got Liverpool tomorrow night, um, so this could be you know quite transient and not uh, applicable. But over the past, shipping six goals in two games, right, Tom. Where where would you, where do you think this is? Because Pep probably had it scripted that everything was going to go his way as it has done this season, you know, largely apart from, you know, uh, a, a couple of key moments. But is it gonna, are they going to cross the line with a whimper? I think it's, it's it's funny, isn't it? After the Liverpool game, I'm saying to a couple of people, it would seem almost like an anti-climax should they beat United and win the title on Saturday. It didn't happen. And I'm actually not that surprised. When they go 2 a up, you're thinking, half of you's thinking that's gone, it's sorted now. But, I mean, credit to United in that situation. Um, I don't think that much was directed from Mourinho. I think you've got players there who are putting in performances that they know they're capable of. That's you mentioned Pogba. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's interesting you say that. Now, Pogba for France recently played in a 4-3-3. He's played in a 4-4-2 with Kante before. I think he's an outstanding footballer. Personally, and I've I've watched him a few times. You're live. not alone there. You're not alone there, Tom. I'm sure there's going to be a few supporters it's on a that. Controversial but, yeah. view, <laughs> indeed. And some say he should be bald because otherwise you won't have the problems with his hair. But I think what's what's happened there with City. 
Guardiola and City will win the league. That's you know yeah. not going to shock anyone. I don't think, yeah, but I think we're on board on that. And I wouldn't go to Labricks for those odds either. Indeed. But, <laughs> but what, what I think's happened is that because we've known that for months, Guardiola's rhetoric has changed from being about the league to being about the Champions League. He was shocked against Liverpool massively. Mm. They're exposed in areas where we probably looked at but glossed over. Danilo, for example, um, a player who, a left-back, okay, he didn't play, did he? I don't think against Liverpool. Well, the left-back position is where but they've the struggled. De- Delph has had to fill in there. Yeah. And someone, when we were going to the video a few weeks ago, speaking to someone there and saying he could play in that position. Yeah. Never going to be convincing. Benjamin Mendy's been out all the season. He's the left-back they brought in to sort of fit yeah, that yeah. mould. And when you're going to put Mo Salah up against mm. him. But, I mean, what you had there, I mean, there's this idea of, of Guardiola showing so much respect to the opponents. What Liverpool did very classically, and they did it before to beat them in the league, was to catch them high. So they used their forwards to make tackles. And I think Firmino is one of the highest in terms of one of the best forwards in terms of making tackles in in the third um, sort of stage of the, of the pitch. I think he's made 20 tackles this season, which I think is impressive because the positions he, he, he takes up, he wins the ball high up the pitch. Salah is already there. Look at the, I think it's the first goal, isn't it? Yeah, no, um, the, the pressing. Uh, yeah, the pressing of Liverpool. I, and then the is, second goal as well. Yeah. And press if, it deep. If, team are bra- if teams are brave enough to take a take a breath and be able to pass it around them with quality, it's always hurt Liverpool and going the other way. But you're right. That's, that's certainly been... Uh, you know, it's certainly been a mark for this season with with Guardiola's team as well. No one's had the balls to push them up high up the pitch. And what, how do you push them high up the pitch? Firmino is a, a kind of a bit of an anomaly in that a player that has the the quality when he's got the ball to be able to deliver it, rather than just be a you know just a just a number nine that's gone going the other way. Did you did, did you see that that game, Gary? Yeah, to, just to move this conversation on a little bit, I just I look at what's happened in this last week or so, and it's good for next season. Because we talk about teams lacking that courage and that desire to really get a City's back four or the back three, whatever he's decided to play this week. And suddenly you're seeing that managers now will be able to study these games over the summer to think, OK, look, we might not. it's not going to work every time. Of course it isn't because teams, not every team has the quality of United or Liverpool. But just thinking about that top six, because it's going to be interesting this weekend when they play Spurs, like how Pochettino is going to play it. Because City are going to have all that emotion of... You know, back-to-back Champions League games with a Manchester derby caught in between, and you know whether they go out. You know, what's their mood like? So Spurs have got the ability to play the same way mm-hmm. as United in, in that second half, especially in Liverpool. But then it sort of happened to Chelsea last year, where United got that victory at Old Trafford, where Herrera like completely bossed Hazard, and they won two um, 0 when Rashford scored that early goal, and and it sort of showed how to play against Chelsea a little bit. And then teams have done it more this year. That's interesting, yeah, because. People and you're seeing it. now that, look, yeah, yeah, the title's gone. City, okay, they, they didn't get the way they wanted to win it. They're going to win it after 34, 35 games. Unlucky, Chelsea still have that record of the, the earliest <laughs> Premier League title win. You know, but I just look at it, it is a good thing for next season that you've got two managers for different reasons and different approaches, but have shown that courage where it was almost you know, forced upon Jose in the end where he just thought, I can't lose this game. You know, I've, I've got to give the freedom to these players. And you yeah. saw it. It was suddenly Pogba off the leash. You know, and the, and the way that you know he's heavy metal football with Klopp, it's yeah. not going to work every time. You know, you've seen that. Well, that's interestingly. Let's, let's go on to Klopp because that um, 
the Everton game, which was hard work at the very... That's the easiest way I could put it. I mean, after the Lord Mayor's show, it was completely a perfect example of that. But the the spotlight wasn't on him because of the, the City game. Yeah. Because it's a derby, because Allardyce is there going, well, that's what Sam Allardyce does, doesn't he? He gets points against teams he shouldn't and he beats the teams that he should. That's kind of... That's his ethos as a manager and he doesn't really care how he does it. But Klopp hasn't been scrutinised for that performance. And was it a case of the players were just exhausted? Because I don't know. I, 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 I'd say there has to be an did. element of that. Yeah, you know, the, and, the, and emotionally or physically, yeah, like psychologically. Because I Liverpool say. as a club, that's why Klopp's probably the perfect manager for him because they play on that emotion. You see you know, the emotion of a, a bus journey to a stadium. You know, that they... They they thrive on it as a club, you know. They thrive on it as a city. There's some, you know, the hearts on the sleeve type, you know. And he really buys into that. So you're gonna have that up and down emotion, which is why you look at a different team, different manager. But you look at what they did in 2005 in that you know incredible run to to win the Champions League when everyone was writing them off and they beat Chelsea, who just won the champ. They won the championship against Bolton at the weekend. Then they go and lose to the goals goal at Anfield, you know, a few days later. But Liverpool finished fifth that year. 37 points behind Chelsea. Everton finished fourth. <laughs> and you're looking like, how can you be so great in a Champions League and so poor mm. in the Premier League? Because it's that draining emotion of the players. And that's what you saw on Saturday. No, absolutely. I think it's it's very interesting to, to sort of understand how Klopp views the Merseyside derby as well. Before the game, he was very passionate about it. But actually, look at it. I mean, the situation is bigger than just a Merseyside derby, isn't it? It's two, 10 points clear of, of Chelsea as our, as our Spurs. He's got a much bigger game coming up on, on Tuesday night. Yeah, he could rest those players and, and get away with it. A draw is not a bad result at Goodison yeah. Park. And quite frankly, it matters more to Everton fans and Liverpool, I think, at this yeah. stage in the season. I think, you know, yeah, of course, we all like to win derbies, but quite honestly, they didn't need to win that game. I, I, we've all been supporters of teams that have been on the wrong side of derbies, and you're right, it's the way that when you when you want your team to win, but they're probably the underdog. And then you have to realise that. And then, listen, if Everton had a game the magnitude of City in the Champions League, you know, I mean, that's, that has, it's, clearly that's paramount. But, um, but yeah, just interestingly, it lacked that certain bite and fizz. And that was a big thing. You know, it was a great piece. I think Roy Smith wrote about the, the way that the fans greeting the, 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 the bus, taking it, it, it take the, viol- uh, take the, the, you know, the illegalities out of it. There was a certain... There's something about it they only get from Champions League nights or from those big occasions where it's a real kind of intimidating, cauldron atmosphere. And, and I think that you know Liverpool are going to have to. I, d- I don't think the Etihad's never. It's never really held that that kind of. Did you hear it on Saturday? It was like I was doing some DIY before the game and I was listening to the radio, and it was just like though Alan Green was talking on Five Live and you couldn't hear the fans. It's really fascinating. Unbelievable. I, I, yeah, it was ridiculous. just. I just thought there's, there's. You're, you could be winning the title against mm. your, against your biggest rivals, where you really show them that the tables have turned in this fixture. You know, I don't like all this Americanization of Manchester is blue and Manchester is red, but you know, Manchester could be blue. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and you could be lording this over them for decades. Yeah, and no one seems bothered. Well, there's one one final point on that. Vincent Company, funnily enough, did his MPA on atmosphere and grounds. And he makes this point of how an atmosphere can actually change the psyche of a footballer. And clearly it did that mm. at Anfield, didn't it? That's a great point. Good point. Well, listen, there's a couple other things. that I want to just go back to the Everton one because the Rooney situation, uh, he walking off the pitch and, and telling uh, Sam Allardyce, well, maybe not Sam Allardyce, frustrated his own performance, no doubt, because 
as we, as we say, it was probably more important to him than it was for any of the Liverpool players, which is probably a bit of a putting his nose out of joint, considering that the kind of player he's been over the years, because there's no graceful way to retire from football. You just get slower and older and not as effective. And it is a bit of a, it's a bit of a tough one for him. But is that, a, do you think Rooney's a endemic of the sort of the Sam Allardyce where things, do you think they'll, they'll both go? Do you think that, because I don't know how long Rooney can kind of, he's not the player that will go gracefully, be able to play into his, his late 30s, will he? And Sam Allardyce, I, don't, I just don't know if it's a good fit for Everton. Fireman Sam, he's done a good job of, um, <laughs> yes, of, but yeah, it, to be fair to him, he, ha- he has done a good job of, he has. of putting out the fires. But then you think that Everton, with the money that they've got, evidently with money comes ambition. And, you know, you've got um, Silver there just sat there waiting to take over, haven't you now? And they don't have to pay 15 million to Watford for it. And, and then you've got the West Brom situation where I heard this wonderful story that uh, is, I mean, it's a probably apocryphal, but uh, the Pardew turned up because he thought it was an April Fool's that he'd been sacked. He turned up at the training ground anyway and uh, didn't realise that it was actually true. The man, the, only a man of his arrogance could probably believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. So but that, with that role coming up for grabs, would you think that'd be a good fit for Allardyce? What's wrong? He, he should just retire. I mean, that was rhetorical. <laughs> you say there's, there's no way of retiring gracefully in football, in management as well. It's like, he's got, you know, I know he's, looked upon as being this ancient coach or whatever but you know he, he was a manager that brought in a lot of positive change at Bolton you know, with the technology and the, the earpieces and, mm. and everything but football has left him behind a little bit but you look and you think come on Sam if you retire now you're wealthy you've done everything you can in the game you've you know you haven't got a relegation on you and everything you know you've done a good job why do a Redknapp and just go beyond, you know, when Redknapp went to Birmingham and it's like, why have you taken that job? You yeah, know, and yeah. it, it just leaves that, that stain on his career. And you look and you think, West Brom are in free fall right now. You know, what can you really offer this club to, to really turn it around? I just, just retire gracefully. Gary, you made it into a great segue, actually, <laughs> because there's, there's two managers I would love to speak about and, and um, Chris and I spoke about this before. Yeah. It's uh, Danny Nicky Cowley at, at Lincoln City, the County Brothers, and yeah, I just like to clarify as well. Tom covered the game, mm. didn't you, at Lincoln? And you've worked on these stories over the years. And from my experience at that football club, it's to see what they've done is pretty much revolutionary. Indeed, as a player, Chris. Yeah, as a player, brief. So, but we'll, we'll move back to the Cowleys because uh, mm. I think it's a very different club now than it was when I played there. It is. It is. I mean, so for example, just for the listeners and everyone else's benefit. I think Lincoln were relegated in 2011 uh, to the conference and were there for six years before coming back up. Now, their highest finish, I believe, before the counties were there was 13th in the National League to your old-timers, the conference. So last season, they finished top of the National League and get promotion to the Football League. But also, you may recognise the FA Cup run they had to the quarterfinals, the first non-league side to do so in 103 years. So yesterday was Czech Trade Trophy final. Now, everyone has their own opinion on the competition itself. I do myself in terms of one of the only three teams shouldn't be there. Obviously, played Chelsea to get to the final. Um, but that aside, we kind of... In, in this country, we need to start looking, I believe, at managers who... I've got new ideas. Managers who aren't necessarily you like in terms of the carousel that happens in the Premier League and Championship. Now, Danny and Nicky managed only two years ago Braintree Town part-time before like Concord Rangers and had successive promotions there 
from the you know Ryman League, if you like, all the way to the Conference South. Now you had you had a situation with Braintree Town. They got to the playoffs, part-time side in the National League. And they were Lincoln to get them promoted in the first season. And for a hun- first team in under three years, non-league side to get the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. When you meet people in football and and, and grits, Gary, both yourselves will have this where you meet someone with an aura about them. There's a certain charisma, if you like. With Danny and Nicky, I've I've had the privilege of getting to know them over the last sort of year, probably last January it was, January 2017. They are people at the level they are, League Two, who you get the impression won't be there much longer. And there is a certain element of class about them. Um, And the way they've managed to sort of build a, a football side, if you like, that goes forward... And I suppose the way I look at it is managers like them, and you've got Paul Hurst, you've got Nathan Jones, Paul yep. Hurst at Shrewsbury, Nathan Jones at Luton. How long is it before we start seeing managers of their ilk, that sort of development, if you like, of modern foot managers, not your Russell Slade? But I think they are, they're coming through. I think that's the point. And, and mm. interestingly, the, the one last manager I was, wanted to talk about was uh, Rafa Benitez. And Rafa mm. Benitez got, I think his first job in Spain was unsuccessful. And he went back down to like the third division and kind of cut his teeth again. And they, but they gave him that chance. It wasn't like kind of, you know, A.D. Boothroyd when he, you get one bite of the cherry, mate, and then you're, you're cast. Yeah back down and then good luck with Northampton I see what you can do with them it's like he was encouraged and, and said that they'd spotted something about Rafa and this is the thing I'd, I'd like to think Nathan Jones and the Cowleys and these people that are kind of the enigmatic young managers with fresh look, ideas look, look, look at Guardiola that he was the Barcelona B manager and who was he bringing through there like Aye. Pedro Busquets mm. yeah. and I'm talking from a completely biased opinion because it's the one where I feel more educated to talk about but it's something similar at Chelsea where it's probably a bit too premature, but you look at Joe Edwards yeah, and he's a yeah. former youth team player at Chelsea, got injured, then they took him under their wing as a coach and they've been you know, producing some good coaches, but Joe's sort of their young protege and he's about 32 now. And um, you know, everything you're seeing with Jody Morris right now with the under-18s, Joe Edwards was doing before and he's come through and he bought through, this is what everyone, I don't know Well, I say, everyone doesn't realise, but he bought through Loftus-Cheek, you know, all, all that generation of players, he took them under eights for their first session and brought them right through to under 18s. And these are players that, in my view, have got good careers ahead of them. And look at Ampadu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you look at these players and you think, what Chelsea are doing with the coaches, that I'd love to see Joe Edwards given a chance yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Well, listen, gents, uh, I'm sorry to rush us uh, through the end there, but um, we'll pick up on some of that next time, I hope. But it's been a pleasure having you both on. Uh, Tom and Gary, thanks for your time. Cheers. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. The Whistleblowers is back for the season by Labrooks. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software 
software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others, and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk, and we're also available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Acast, and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.